Where is my phone? <laughs> oh, God. All the way over there. Okay. The Criterion one? Yeah. It's, it's got a picture of Job from Arrested Development. Oh. I did not get sent that one. Should. You were tagged in it. It might have been from the show account. Okay. The one about the mirror? Yeah. That's your first Tarkovsky? No, 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 no. This is something I found online, and Uh, I wanted to know if this is actually funny. Yeah. Okay. Can you explain why, or would it ruin the movie Mirror? It's not going to ruin the movie Mirror. It's about him. (laughs) <laughs> so like if you don't know his story or where he comes from or like his style it would be a really difficult movie to like get into fair enough okay well it sounds like it was funny not as funny as i was hoping this opening segment was going to be but you know you know you can't always you can't always hit and it's i also, think our director yeah, tonight proves that it's structured non-linearly so that's why it's hard Ah, okay. Well, getting funnier all the time, then. She watched a bunch of these movies with me. What's her Mount Rushmore? You know what? Let's take a one-minute pause here, and I'll put in the take-a-pause music. You you go ask your lady what her number one is. I'm going to go ask mine, okay? Sure. You back? Oh, God, Jesus Christ. Yeah, I'm back. <laughs> you okay? Yeah, I fucking deafened my, my right ear. So, we took a moment break there. We did. And we both came back, and you now know what her top one is? Yes. Hi. We're doing all four, right? Oh, we're doing all four. I only got I only got one for oh, her. I could, I could just do the one. I could just do the one. Well, there we go. Hi. So... What is Naomi's? Since you know we're talking about a female filmmaker, we should probably ask a couple of a couple of females like what their favorites are, because you know, and even still, we're still speaking for them, which is which is not great. It's just great, perfect. Yeah, the show the 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 most perfect chauvinists. We're the most polite chauvinists. There you go. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) For Naomi, it was Virgin Suicides. For Brianna, it was Marie Antoinette. Marie Antoinette's really good. It is. It is it very is. good. That one, yeah, we'll talk about it. Yes, we will. Well, if you guys hadn't guessed, on the other side of this, we're going to talk about the one, the only, surprising nobody that she got in ahead of her her father to the Mount Rushmore, Sophia Coppola. Sophie Copes. <laughs> that is what she likes to be called. She she loves it. <laughs> yeah. What up, uh, what up old Sophie? Sophie Cope sounds like something that that just is like a Bojack Horseman throwaway. It really does sound like the laziest Bojack Horseman. Yeah, absolutely. It, yeah, it is a lazy joke, and I love it.
Welcome, everybody, to TWGTF, or as everybody knows it, from France to Japan, this is Two White Guys Talking Film. I'm, of course, one of your hosts, Ben. And I'm Tyler. And we are, of course, because it is an episode that ends in zero, doing another Mount Rushmore of Awesomeness. And this time, we are profiling Miss Sofia Coppola. How are you feeling about this one, Tyler? Hurts. (laughs) Why does it hurt? A lot of these are really good movies, and... This list was a lot harder than I thought it would be. I'll say this. It's. I don't know if it was hard necessarily, because I I pretty much just did mine about five minutes ago. And (laughs) no, she's got like seven movies, so it's not as hard to go through. It's not like Martin Scorsese or Spike Lee, where it's like there's 25 movies here that I have to like (laughs) sort through. Like I banged out her entire collection in a week. And I didn't even watch one of them because I had watched it like three months ago. Nice. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. Like, none of her movies are about the same thing. And yet all of them kind of circle around one very similar idea that I can't wait to get to tonight. She really loves France. Not what I was thinking, but yes, (laughs) there is also that. I'm sorry. I, I had a thought. And then I immediately lost the thought. So I had to try to come up with something. The bridge was not built when I started standing on the bridge, you know? I'm sorry. Don't worry. It's not the worst constructed bridge I've seen today. <laughs> I went and saw Ant-Man and Quantumanium. That's the worst oh, constructed bridge God. I've seen today. I, dude, the, the images of, of MODOK. I'm so pissed off. I was so funny looking. I'm so pissed off. Because it was the one thing I was kind of excited for in the movie. I was just sitting there and I was like, you know what? At least Modoc will be in this movie. At least they can show me something different. Nope. And the worst thing is, too, Jonathan Majors is actually really kind of good in the movie. Like, Jonathan Majors plays this quiet menace in the movie that not a lot of other people can pull off. And, and it feels so wasted. I don't want to go off on the deep end because I haven't seen it and I'm probably not going to see it. And honestly, this whole discussion should probably just be edited out. But I heard that it doesn't even like have a Paul Rudd performance that is like as tapped in as like his other Ant-Man performances. Like someone was saying he just seems completely lost at sea. And I was just like, how? Well, the movie should be called Cuck and the Wasp, honestly. Like, every single (laughs) fucking moment of this movie feels like it's a joke on Paul Rudd. And it's like, guys, he's the fucking star. Like, no offense, and I know it doesn't matter in the grand scheme of things because no one remembers the last movie from the next one. He's the guy who actually saves the entire fucking day in the Endgame Infinity War saga because he's the one who comes up with the idea of the time heist. It's absolute bullshit, and they they make him out to be a fucking joke in this movie. It's like, it's like, what what the fuck is this, guys? Like, now I'm not gonna get into it. We're gonna talk about Sophia Coppola. This is a, this is a good night. <laughs> I had to watch that and All Quiet on the Western Front today to keep banging out Oscar movies. Good luck, Godspeed. I'm not doing that. We get close this weekend at our theater. <sighs> fuck that movie. Fuck that director. You Did you see it? No. <laughs> Why don't you like gonna. 
that guy's last movie is transphobic as fuck. Oh, fair enough. And so, yeah, he can fucking eat me. That guy sucked my dick. Fuck you. I'm not watching that movie. You know what else came out, though? EO. Yeah, that's going to be a rough afternoon. Yeah. That's going to be a rough afternoon. I told her, I told her, I was like, we're watching that. She goes, yeah, I guess, eventually. (laughs) My plan is to go watch Close and then Puss in Boots in the same day. (laughs) Oof. Yeah, go in, like, super sad and leave, like, kind of, like, mildly happy. It was like when I... I used to do this thing like every January where I would pick one Tuesday where I didn't have like work the next day and I would just go see like everything that was in the theaters on like a fucking February day. Because you could, you know, before COVID, when you had like early matinees, the movie theater didn't open at one. You could go from like 11 to to basically midnight and spend like a whole day there. It was so nice. I remember those days. On like 30, 40 bucks in tickets. Oh, yeah. And so one time I went and and I think the movies were. One was Manchester by the Sea. The other was Assassin's Creed. (laughs) (laughs) And then another one was. Oh, God. I know one of them was the last one I saw was Passengers. I finished it with Passengers. I just trying to remember. There was one in between that. Oh, uh, it was life. <laughs> so that weird. Was the, I'll that... say this: life, not the worst of those movies. No, <laughs> life's kind of fun. I will also say Assassin's Creed somehow is like the best of those of those four. Movies. Oh, I don't know about that. Life is life is pretty. Fu- I would say life is better than that, but. I'm also just a big Jake Gyllenhaal fan. And also, you know, I'm surprised at you. Someone who doesn't like Ryan Reynolds as much as they don't like him would enjoy that movie, especially what happens to him. I, you know, that's the good part of the movie. The rest of life, the, 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 the movie after that is not as good. Let's see. So Life, Assassin's Creed, Passengers. What was the fourth one? It was Manchester by the Sea. Uh, yeah, that is a that is a. I don't know, man. I I hated Manchester by the Sea. I I well, I love the I love the other guy's movie, the his his other movie, um, oh, Marguerite. Yeah. What is that? So I'm like, go make other movies, but this movie is not. I don't like this movie. Oh, I would we like also it don't if, like the other guy involved with it. He, I don't like Casey Affleck. That's the problem. Yeah, like if we got like the Matt Damon cut of that movie where he plays that character. Have you heard what what the Twitter joke is about his new movie, what it's called? Shit, I have. I can't remember it off the top of my head. We bought a shoe. We bought a shoe. We bought a shoe. What you got to say? I'm pretty excited for that movie, actually. (sighs) It just looks like a fucking product placement, the movie. It does, but I think that trailer is badly cut. True. Like, I think it's going to be more like a money ball. I would hope. Where Nike's just the we'll backdrop, see. and it's not just like, <laughs> fucking look at look at how cool these shoes are. Yeah, me me hopes that as well. Well, we can cut a lot of that out, I'm sure. But what do you think <laughs> of Sofia Coppola, and when did she first come onto your radar? Oh, I love Sofia Coppola. I think the first, and this is going to sound ridiculous, the first Sofia Coppola film I saw 
was probably Marie Antoinette when it came out, but I didn't see another one until I saw The Beguiled in theaters. And then I went back and, and caught up on all of her work. Growing up as like a kid who followed like indep- independent film, because that's like the movies my parents would rent sometimes. I, she was like always on the periphery. Like I knew what Lost in Translation was, or I'd like heard the name. And so I think her with like Coppola, it's kind of like in my head. There's, there's always existed two. You know what I mean? I know what you mean. And like, for me, it was the first movie was Lost in Translation. I remember going with my mom to the theater because that movie was just getting praised up and down. And my mom was like, I've never heard of this movie. And I said, this movie's going to be a big deal this year at the Oscars. And I was right. I mm-hmm. think she actually wins an Oscar for she, Lost in she, Translation. Yeah, no, she, she wins a screenplay, screenplay Oscar. And, I mean, like, big deal that that movie was. That movie was, like, when you could make a small little independent movie and just be a juggernaut at the box office. And after that, let's see. I go back and rediscover Virgin. So it says, I complete, I see Mir, I saw Marie Antoinette in theaters, but completely discount it. And then somewhere doesn't make it its way into my life until I think I meet you. I watched The Beguiled for the first time, like, last year. And then, of course, she makes On the Rocks. And, yeah, I mean, she's interesting. Like, she's she's going to be one of those people who, like, I feel we're going to look back, like, when she's got at least, like, 15 films. And I believe she will have 50. Like, she's only halfway there right now, but I believe she will have, like, 15 films under her belt by the time she hangs it up. I would hope so. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. I, I want I want those 15 movies. Because I she's got a really good batting average. I'll say the hardest part about this, we talked about how hard it was. The hardest part about this was looking at it and being like, well, what order do these go into? Like, because <laughs> yeah. each one is real close. There's just a few that are just like straight up, like out and out the best ones. But like everything else is very closely knitted. I will say, I think every single one of her movies, if someone came up to me and was like, do you want to see blank? I would be like, yeah, I want to see that. I, I could watch that right now. Yeah. You know and I mean? you know what? Not not many like... directors you could you could say that about. Oh, I don't think she has one honest to goodness bad movie in her collection. I think every one of her movies if you if you told me like, "Hey, we've either got this or Bubba," I'd probably pick this. Like yeah. all of her movies at least have something to them and none of them feel overly like overly like self-indulgent or vacuous. Like they all have something to say. And I feel like she's more of a your person than my person. So do you want to go first? Yeah, I'll go first. Perfect. Um, as the resident Sophia Stan. Well, that's my favorite country, Sophia <laughs> Stan. Let's talk about your number four. It's the one that just barely made it onto the list, but it beat out three other ones. And you're going to tell us about it with two minutes on the clock in three, two, one. My number four is the 2006 Kirsten Dunst film about the French Revolution and Marie Antoinette. It's not really about the French Revolution that kind of happens in the background, but instead it's the sort of real, sometimes fictionalized account of Marie Antoinette 
more focused on her life as a princess and what the Dupont and the king of France and how all of the eyes and gossip and how very all real it was. It is a fantastic film with some wonderful costuming and also is the movie by Sofia Coppola that I think I grow to enjoy more and more each time I watch it. Yeah, that, that's my time. We're going to have a real serious chat about one person in that movie when it when it comes up, if it does get on the list. But just need you to know there's there's a real serious chat about someone in that movie coming up. Yeah, Steve Coogan, man. He's all over the shop. <laughs> Steve Coogan does whip in that movie, doesn't he? <laughs> Not who I'm talking about, but we'll, we'll get there. And that leads us on to your number three. Your number three. It's the it's the bronze medalist. It, you know, it, it it's up there on the podium just off to the side is four looking at it being like, ah, I was I got here, but didn't quite make it there. And it starts in three, two, one, go. It's it is in many ways a movie sort of made in response to a original version of the movie. The Beguiled is kind of beguiling. It was played in the Cannes Film Festival. It made Sofia Coppola the second ever female to win the Best Director Award. And it just sort of lives in my mind as like a perfect 90-minute thriller. My number three, The Beguiled. That's my time. Bill Murray says in Lost in Translation, the short and sweet, very Japanese. On to your number two. Man, your list is not going... I mean, I think I know where it's going in the next two, but who's to say... Your number two, it's the second place one, just barely edged out by your number one. And who knows, maybe it's a vast difference or maybe it's just by the skin of its teeth. But it starts in three, two, one, go. Last summer, I got to see this movie projected. And it was the first time I'd ever seen it. And I was blown away by its just... It's just such a touching film um and how good james woods is in the movie um of course talking about 1999's the virgin suicides uh, it, it's, i stunning i think is the word i would use to describe it yeah stunning classic it's just really really good Danny DeVito's in it. That's my time. Danny DeVito's in it. That's my he, time. He is in it, though. He is in it for, like, a very small portion. Just very yes. briefly. He's very briefly. Yeah. In it. It's almost like, did they have Danny DeVito for, like, 12 minutes? <laughs> yeah, for, 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 like, a single day. It does feel like that's how long that would take to shoot. I think I know what your number one is, but I'm not 100% sure. But you're going to let us know in three Two, one, go. Chateau Marmont is a place that is somewhere. And that's my number one from 2010, starring Stephen Dorff and Elle Fanning. Somewhere. That has to have been 30 seconds. Come on, you're fucking with me. 
No, you actually had like three left after after you said that has to be thirty seconds. <laughs> I was like, I'm that that's way more than thirty seconds. I felt like I felt like a solid minute. Interesting. So go ahead, read them back to us. Uh, from four to one, I have Marie Antoinette, The Beguiled, Virgin Suicides, and Somewhere. Well, there you go. Okay. Well, there you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm very interested to see where this all shakes out. Let me know whenever you're ready. Yeah, give me a second. Let me get my... Oh, my phone's so cold. Oh, my God. I'm going to turn the heater off. Are you ready? Yes. You're number four. Two minutes in three, two, one, go. Sophia Coppola's most off-the-beaten-path picture might be one of her most fun for that reason alone. An incredible cast proves again that single location can make infinite possibilities if you just apply the right amount of pressure in the right areas. Just solid work on what could be a very mediocre remake. I'm, of course, talking about the 2017 movie starring Nicole Kidman, Kirsten Dunst, Elle Fanning, and, of course, Colin Farrell in a banger year for him. It's The Beguiled. If you have not seen The Beguiled, guys, Tyler is 100% correct. It's just a perfect little 90-minute thriller. Here's the other thing about Sofia Coppola for the most part. Most of her movies don't go over an hour and a half. It's really an admirable quality that I wish a lot of other filmmakers would take up upon themselves. I don't know if that's her choice or not, but man, The Beguiled just works. Colin Farrell, I thought, played the scummiest character of that year in A Killing of a Sacred Deer, but my God, he is just such a piece of shit in this movie. And honestly, too... The only thing that really gets him in the end is himself. And man, Nicole Kidman, too. Just him and her together are just fantastic. And this might be the crowning achievement of that year with those two. So 2017 at number four, The Beguiled. That'll be my time. Nice. I'm still here. Don't worry. I no, you're good. haven't fallen asleep. Here, number three, a minute and 30 seconds, starting in three, two, one. Perhaps the most personal of all Sofia Coppola's films is also maybe her most like scathing movie in some ways, calling out certain people in her life and certain people in the world to the carpet. It's 2020's On the Rocks, deeply affecting with some interesting comments on the way genders grow and grow old together. Just absolutely incredible. I know Tyler's not a big fan of Bill Murray, but man, Bill Murray in this movie is so good. The final scenes between him and Rashida jones are just absolutely incredible and i gotta tell you if you have not seen this movie i would highly recommend it it's hard to find it's on apple tv but when you do seek it out just enjoy watching the comedic stylings of those two and just watching kind of what i think is her final nail in the coffin of what sofia coppola thinks of relationships between fathers and daughters which is in my opinion what a lot of her movies strive to talk about so at number three 2020s on the rocks That'll be my time. What I will say about On the Rocks is I subscribed to it to watch that movie specifically because it was on Ben's best of the year list and stayed subscribed to Apple TV for a whole year after that. So, and, you know, was it worth it? Maybe. Who's to say? Who's to say? Who's to say?
You see the news that, speaking of Apple TV, that uh, Martin Scorsese's new movie is three hours and 20 minutes long. I know it's an assembly cut, so he hasn't cut like like anything yet, but I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> I showed that to her and she just went, Jesus Christ. And I was like, I know, I hope it comes to theaters. It'll come, it'll be up here. So, you know. Yeah, I know, can, I'm hoping can like... Me. Uh, you know, I, I won't lie to you. I might just do it. <laughs> you and me, only two people sitting. Well, that's not true. I'm sure some old people will be in there. Bye. The Irishman was so good. Yeah, I know. Should we watch The Irishman? All the right. Sorry. Is now. <laughs> the day, day the time is now. Number two. You got a minute in three, two, one, go. I mean, guys, I know it was booed at the Cannes Film Festival. But they're wrong. They're really, really wrong. The true, and I put that in quotation marks, life story of one of the greatest leaders of her time. Kirsten Dunst delivers one of the most underrated and stirring turns in the titular role. Played for almost satirical comedy, this epic by Sofia Coppola proves the heights and depths one can sink and rise if given the opportunity as an artist. Truly a miss and misunderstood in its time, but now seems to be getting praise that it deserves from when it came out in 2006. It was booed, as I said, at the Cannes Film Festival. One truly heartbreaking ending proves why class systems are such a terrible thing for everyone in society. It's the movie that stars Kirsten Dunst, Jason Schwartzman, and Rip Torn. And also, as he said before, Steve Coogan, who's all over the place. And you know what? Hell, Danny Houston. It's 2006, Marie Antoinette. That'll be my time. Just under the wire. He's about to unmute so I can go boop, 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 boop. Well, here we go. <laughs> Let me never make that noise ever again. All right. <laughs> no, no, no. No, no. It was a good noise. It was a good noise. <laughs> All right. 30 seconds for your number one in three, two, one, go. The debut feature of Sofia Coppola is nothing short of being potentially the best American movie debut of the 1990s, as well as maybe the best American movie of the 90s, too. The story of the Lisbon sisters and all the tragedy that followed them is deftly made and is acted with a vision of all that young Sofia Coppola has to give and may show us throughout the rest of her career. Although off kilter at times, as one can tell it is a first time behind the camera, her lead on set is obviously proven as she gets some of the most interesting performances out of people who are not likely to give those performances. It's also the first of three and a half pairings with Kirsten Dunst. Yes, three and a half if you count her uncredited moment in the bling ring. This is, of course, 1999's The Virgin Suicides. Incredible. That'll be my time. You went fucking way over, but my goddamn phone didn't go off. That's a shame. It just, it just, it, it got to one and just stopped counting. It just turned off. That's a shame. <laughs> well, as I said before, from four to one, it's The Beguiled from 2017, On the Rocks from 2020, Marie Antoinette from 2006, and 1999's The Virgin Suicides. So I think we have two missing. Yeah, we have two that don't match that is correct so i'm gonna say that we kick off on the rocks and And we put somewhere at number two we put suicide at one we put marie antoinette at three and the beguiled at four what do you think 
what if we switched Marine somewhere? We can move somewhere back one. Are you sure? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So you want to do Virgin Suicides at at one, Marie Antoinette at two, somewhere at three, the Beguiled at four. That feels. I mean, I know it's literally like a chronal uh, chronological order. <laughs> it really is weird that 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 did come out. That did come out. Um, but it feels right. But man, I also just want to say I do love On the Rocks. I think it's, about it's that a movie really often. It's really good. Like, especially watching it again today, after watching just the most disappointing, like, three-minute Bill Murray performance in Ant-Man and the Wasp. Like, I was like, man, Bill Murray's really good if he wants to be. If he wants to be. He should have been fucking nominated. So should she, now that I say it out loud. Yeah. Yeah. Let's see. So that means the ones that are going are... On the Rocks, Lost in Translation, and The Bling Ring? Yes. Well, there you go. That means I get to pick The Bling Ring sometimes, so that's that's nice for me. And if you guys, for some reason, can't wait to hear me talk about The Bling Ring, we did do it on the A24 podcast, so, you know, go listen to it. It's an early episode, so it's super rough, but it's got, it's got some promise. Bling Ring, good movie. It is. It's kind of surprising opinion. we actually we actually didn't even bring it up. Yeah, but I, I think just, it's just I think she just has a couple more that are too good. I it was it was almost on my list, but I put Marie Antoinette, and, and now I'm thinking, you know, if, if you know, if I had a crystal ball, I would have put I would have put the blank ring on there. That's fair. That's very fair. Let me add those to our, our nines. Should we go through what we would have put in what order? Yeah, we want to rank her whole filmography. Yeah, might as well. Yeah. And then we'll we'll get to the Mount Rushmore. Oh, okay, what was what was last on your list? Not that I have to ask. Okay, last on my list was Lost in Translation. Hey, guess what? Me too. <laughs> I want to like this movie so badly, but there are just things about it where you're just like, oh. It's just so racist. And you're just like, it didn't need to be racist. I can't tell if she's doing it on purpose, though. It's it's so yeah no it just a lot of it I'm just like it's not aged well. It's let's just say that in any movie. My mind, the only way I justify it is I go, oh, the movie's called Lost in Translation. That's why it appears racist. <laughs> it, oh, it's just like man, I don't know. It, it's hard to really pinpoint like exactly how like what type of racist it is but it definitely it doesn't i don't think it's like what's the most racist th- part in the movie to you I, there's just like multiple moments you gotta pick of, one you gotta pick one scene I that think just personifies worst, what you're talking about the worst one is I I would probably say the escort scene. Yeah. And I know what it's trying to get the comedy out of, which is like, but it's still just so, it's just, it's cringeworthy. There's that. There's like the photography scene is also like particularly rough. Um, 
but I think you're supposed to kind of be like, this is a clueless American. But like, I just think overall the movie's lens towards like Asian Americans and or just like Japanese people in general is condescending in a in like a white liberal way. Yeah. Which is just, I mean, just kind of just sits in that movie for me. I don't know. I mean, I'll, Everything... I'll say it. I still pop for the scene where he goes on the Johnny Carson of Japan show and that guy does that little dance for him because I think they're making fun of Bill Murray at that moment. They are. Absolutely. Yeah. I don't know. It's just a movie that like it. it's never landed quite right <laughs> for me. Interesting. Um, It's very pretty. Yeah. Yeah, if you could actually, I think I wrote in my notes on Letterboxd, I said, if you could put this movie on in a background on mute, this movie looks amazing. Yeah, it's it's perfect for just like being in a on a bar, like in a bar, it's just playing, you know, there you, you gotta go. think about it. What's your number six? Uh, number six is On the Rocks, which is a movie I actually quite like. Yeah, I do. Well, I mean, obviously I do too. It was on my best yeah. of the 2020 list. And yeah, I mean, not not a bad movie by any stretch. Like it's I mean, and I'll say this, too. I feel it perfectly pairs with Lost in Translation in terms of the two Bill Murray performances. Because mm-hmm. one of them is him just kind of getting to be carefree and kind of awful. And the other one, he kind of gets called on it. He's a lot. He's 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 sort of like I say, allowed to be awful. In Lost in Translation, but this movie is definitely like, <laughs> come on, dude. <laughs> Get your yeah. shit together. Exactly. For me, it's the bling ring at number six. That makes sense. And the bling ring's obviously number five for me. I love the bling ring. I think it's just I mean, also it's... ninety minutes. A... It's ninety minutes. And I also have a f- a fondness for the time period that it is taking place in, which is like probably my senior year my junior senior year of high school so you know i could watch this movie anytime really well and you know the thing is too and i gotta say this i don't know if this is something that she drew out of her and i'm saddened that they never work together again but she draws the most see you next tuesday performance out of emma watson no one's ever done it again and I think that might be the real Emma Watson kind of coming through. And I don't know what it is, but she's fantastic in that movie. It might be the best Emma Watson performance ever given. There's a couple Emma Watson performances where you're just like, where's this? Why aren't you like this all the time? What's another one you want to say? Oh, I think she's very good in Little Women. And I know that's controversial. No, I actually agree. That is like the second best performance I would say she's given. Um, I think she's great in that movie. Let me look at this filmography real quick. Go ahead. Just say perks of being a wallflower. I'm just going to load my shotgun now. Uh, I'm not going to say that. Um, Good. I was going to say Noah, which might get me more hate. <laughs> um. <laughs> Did all of you think he was going to say something else? <laughs> you were wrong. It's Noah. It's Noah. Yeah, I remember her. Noah, Noah is dude. really like that movie that like gets into the ring at the Royal Rumble and then is like immediately eliminated. But you're just like, it was no, nice yeah. to see Noah. It yeah. Was nice to Noah see was there. She's. 
she's not terrible in the circle. She's okay. That's a movie just, nobody remembers. It's just the rest of the movie's so bad. I remember that's the start, I think, of this terrible. of the Hank's fall, by the way. Uh yeah. That's post Bridge of Spies, right? Yeah, I think that is post Bridge of Spies. I will, I will tell you, she's fucking terrible in Beauty and the Beast. Everyone's terrible in Beauty and the Beast. I that's don't even the, know that's, if that's the thing. Her. No one's good in that. Yeah. Movie. Let's see. Yeah, Bridge of Spies, I think, is the last good one. And then you go Ithaca, Hologram for a King, Sully, Inferno, The Circle, The Post, Toy Story 4, A Beautiful Day in the Neighborhood, Greyhound, News of the World, Finch, Elvis, and it just keeps going. And A Man Called Otto. A Man Called Otto is making money. So I know. It's so fucking surprising. That movie's keeping theaters afloat, all right? The man is doing a service. <laughs> yeah, I guess. I guess. Making mediocrity for seniors. Yeah, I would say Sully is... Sully's is, interesting, at least. I think I think he's really good in Sully. Whether yeah. or not Sully's a good movie, that depends on who you talk to, all right? I hate a beautiful day in the neighborhood. I'll just say it straight up. It's bad. Uh, the Post is a movie I remember liking at the time. And I think if you put a gun to my head right now, I would be like, never heard of it. Yeah, it's one of the forgotten Spielberg. Like, there's that weird run of Spielberg movies where he's like banging out like one a year and you're just like, you kind of forget about it. Bling Ring. She's really, really good in the Bling Ring. And also, too, it's a movie where there are no heroes. And Sofia Coppola kind of revels in that. It's the one movie like that, I think. It might um, be even more off the beaten path than on the than uh, than the Beguiled in some ways. Yeah, yeah. The Beguiled is the Beguiled is weird. Yeah. So that was your number five, right? My number five was the Bling Ring. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mine is somewhere. I mean, we're we're oh, going to talk about yeah. somewhere. We're gonna talk about somewhere, but we'll we'll get there. Oh, I don't and know then why obviously I was by that. It was like obviously somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was of course. And I mean, I don't have to say it now, but it was it's just on the outside looking in. Like, I mean, believe me, if the beguiled hadn't kind of just caught me, I literally was editing our Lady Snowblood podcast and watching because I thought we were gonna do it that day and watching the beguiled next to each other. So like in one ear, I've got you going on about like La Femme Nikita and how gross Luke Besson is. And in the other year, I've just got Colin Farrell screaming. And I was just like, I'm like, this is a good day. This is a pretty good Sunday I'm having right here. I'm glad. I'm glad you got to listen to me talk about how gross Luke Besson. Everybody should have the pleasure of hearing me talk about how gross Luke Besson was. Is. You know, by the way, I'm, I'm just going to pitch this to you right now. You ready? Uh-huh. Lady Snowblood 2, Love Song for Vengeance, The Messenger story of Joan of Arc. Oh. They're both on my list. I really think just to double down on that joke, I think you should pick those two. Mm, maybe. Maybe. I think I think the I, joke I, is worth it. Yeah, I do too. I haven't seen The Messenger in fucking a decade and a half, but we'll see. Who knows? We could both walk out of being like the messenger. Secretly good. <laughs> a new artist? <laughs> oh. 
And, you know, just before we jump into what our top four are, she actually sent me her top four. You want to tell us oh, Naomi's God. top four? I believe it was Marie Antoinette, the bling ring beguiled um, virgin suicides. And hers was On the Rocks, Lost in Translation, The Virgin Suicides, Marie Antoinette. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's a good list. I think so, too. Well, let's jump into the number four. And do you want to do this one? Or, you know, I guess you'll do. I'll do three and one. Okay, perfect. And our number four movie is, of course, the 2017 movie. Which I gotta say, man, it's just a nasty little thriller and proves like, hey, if you give her just a little bit of a little bit of room and you give her like a whole bunch of really good people to work with, she can churn out a movie that probably tops the original. And I haven't seen the original, but I gotta say, it's gonna be hard to beat 2017's The Beguiled. Corporal. I was wondering how your leg is. It uh twinges a bit now and then. I would expect that. You will recall I was the one who was supposed to be walking on it so soon. Yes, ma'am. However, I appreciate your desire to be active. May I check? Yes, ma'am. Well? The stitches are they're holding nicely. Hmm. The wound is healing very well. When do you think I'll be fully recovered? Some would say you're recovered now. I'm sure the army surgeons would say you are ready to return to duty. So you'd like me to leave? I didn't say that. No, of course not. You're, you're far too polite a lady to be so blunt about it. I'm as blunt as I need to be, Corporal McBurney. Since you brought it up, I would say that the leg will be healed well enough to leave by the end of the week. Well, that's in just a few days. Yes, it is. Where would I go? I'm afraid that's entirely your business where you go, Corporal. However, I think you may find columns of your troops on the main road to Richmond. Well, your garden should have continual care. I mean, you need a full-time gardener. Perhaps. But I expect in these times one just has to do without. It's a shame, isn't it, that I couldn't have remained helpless? All right, writing the beguiled 1971 into a list of movies to show Ben later this year all right now let me let me ask you this you don't really you don't really talk to mickey all that much but our guy who like carves out all of our mount rushmore's like he (laughs) isn't gonna be pleased with my sketch of just colin farrell's missing leg as like what i think the beguiled he gets leg cut off my friend it is true yeah yeah We'll just bleep both of those out there. So the beguiled, <laughs> huh? Yep. I mean, what a movie! It's it's a, it's a, it's what a what a picture. Yeah, ninety minutes long, 
just set during a time where you're like, fuck, I'd hate to be back then. And like, you just watch, like, I would say maybe two, if not three of the best actresses of each of their generations just kind of cook. Mm-hmm. And then you just have smelly, scummy Colin Farrell just proving why he is the goat when it comes to playing unlikable. You know, if this movie had come out this year instead of in 2017, I think a lot of people would have been like, where's where's Colin Farrell's fucking Oscar for this movie? Like, <sighs> he's so good in this. He's, I mean, like, everybody is so good in this, which is why it, it was so surprising to kind of watch it sort of just middle in the box office. Like, I really love this movie and even just like rewatching like snippets of it just for, to, to re-familiarize myself with it. I was just like, Oh yeah, no, this movie's great. I mean, let's just look at Colin Farrell's 2017. Just, just, just for S's and giggles. He has in 2017, Roman J. Israel Esquire, a movie that has been done on this show. Banger. Killing of a Sacred Deer, a movie that has been on one of our best of the horror decades. Banger. And The Beguiled, now a Mount Rushmore. If that's not a legendary year, I don't know what is. Um, Nicole Kidman, also in one of those movies. Yes. It might be a secret banger year for Nicole Kidman, although I, I feel like she's is. had better years than that in terms of like overall years. She's also in, very briefly, How to Talk to Girls at Parties and The Upside. So, I would say, better year for Colin Farrell. Yeah, very true. But man, just, you want to give him a rundown on what The Beguiled is about? Okay. Alright, get this. So, Civil War, right? It's on. And... I believe that's actually how it was started. I believe like one guy from the north came up to the line, the Dixon, the Mason Dixon line, and the guy from the south came up and he said, "It's on, right?" And he goes, "Oh, it's on." And then they both turned and went back and told everyone from their sides, and then it started. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was very polite. They're very polite about it. There was no bombings. Yeah. There was no <laughs> no one, nothing like that. And then an army corporal named Don McBurney. Yeah, Corporal McBurney. Of the Union Army has a wounded leg and has deserted. And he finds this school. It's a girls' school run by Martha Farnsworth. He, he falls unconscious and they take care of him. And it gets weird. It's one of those things where it's like Colin Farrell's character, if he had just kept it in his pants long enough, would have probably made it out. But it's because he's so horned up and probably knows he's going to die sometime soon because, you know, the war. He tries to hump everything with a pulse. He literally juggles three chicks in this movie. One of them who is not of age, I'd like to point out, too. And also that just adds to the scumminess of Colin Farrell. Yeah, it's bad. He's He's a scumbag in this. But he plays them all in different ways. He treats Nicole Kidman's character like an equal. He treats Kirsten Dunst's character like a lover. And he treats Elle Fanning's character like almost this like intangible creature. It's a very impressive performance considering that he is in the original movie played by uh, Clint Eastwood. (laughs) 
I've heard that. The original is interesting. We will be watching it. It's very different, though. Interesting. Um, yeah, in the in like the way it kind of goes about its uh, whole deal. I like this movie's interpretation a little bit more personally. I think Colin Farrell being a bastard essentially keep can't keep his dick in his pants, so he gets murdered. I find it fun to watch, like, like I root against him and watch him fall apart. Well, and it's also a thing too, though, where they make you also kind of want to root for him at moments. Cause like up until he can't keep the dick in his pants, you're like, I kind of hope this works out for Colin Farrell. Like he didn't want to fight in that war, obviously. Like you can tell there's like a little level of like, ah, he's not a coward. He's a guy who just didn't want to fight anymore. There's, yeah, no, there's definitely like moments where you're just like, okay, you know, you just, you know, lay low, just hang out, just be cool. Yeah. And then he's not cool. And you're just like, ah, oh, you could have been cool. You could have been cool. It would have been fine. You would have been safe. But now you're getting your leg chopped off. Who's your favorite of the women performances in this? Dunst. So good. <sighs> and it's a performance that I think is unheralded because you have Nicole Kidman's whole thing that she does. But I just think Dunst's playing this like this like woman who is just incredibly like there's no other men around. So she's like kind of ravenous and I don't know. Her performance was just like, I don't know. I remember loving it. Well, Uh, it's not just ravenous. It's almost a, it's a performance of she's past her expiration date in that time. She's what, probably 24 and unmarried? She's an old maid by that logic. Yeah. Like, it's one of those things where it's like, she also, she's on the other side of Colin Farrell's coin. It's like, I'm a female in this time. I could be dead tomorrow. I'm going to get mine. Yeah. I would say that it's close to that she's like 26, which is like, at the time, you still could get married. But you're usually at 26, you're marrying someone who's probably already been widowed or like something else has happened. You know, like it's not. I wouldn't say your past your expiration date. It's just it's, you know, you're not getting Farrell. You're not getting exactly. You're not getting Colin Farrell's of the world. And so the way she she reacts and the, 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 the kind of like dance that they go through and then when she realizes that he's been doing that to everyone else and like the jealousy, I think it's a great performance. I think she she's able to really to really tap into something. And just to play the other side of it, what is your favorite scene with Colin Farrell in it? Oh, ugh. I do love when he gets poisoned. Um, <laughs> That's not even anything he does. He just fucking falls. Yeah, and that's a very funny scene. His introduction is is fun. I think he's also just really, he's just, uh, there's so many great scenes of him just being like a smarmy little, like just, just like this fucking slick dude. You know what I mean? Just like this, just gross. Oh, yeah. And, you know, this and, and somewhere the, with Dorf's performance, a similar vibe of just like, what a slippery, greasy little guy. I mean, if we're going to be 
speaking honestly here, and I hope we are, when he grabs L Fanning by the hair, I laugh every single time. I, I don't know why it's not funny, but there's just something to the way he grabs her so quickly that it's almost like a horror moment where you kind of have to laugh or you're going to scream. It's yeah, it's I wouldn't say it's like a like a like a funny moment, but it's it's, it's yeah, it's it just it surprises you with how sudden and violent it is and how good he is at doing it that you kind of are like, Oh, weird. Well, because all the charm is sucked out of the room. Like, yeah, like he was charming before that moment. That's like the first time. And when he comes in with one leg and he goes, he goes, I got six shots in this pistol. He goes, the next one he who tries anything is getting it. You're like, what happened to the nice guy? Like, where did he go? Did he leave with the leg? Was all of your kindness in that one leg? <laughs> Which, to Basically. be fair, I wake up with a leg off. I'm going to be a little pissed off, too, to be fair. I would also be a little mad. It's his fault. He takes a tumble down those stairs. <laughs> yeah, that's, yep. Yeah. yeah. It is It is his fault. All of it is his fault. Have you noticed there's no score in it? Yeah. I think it's that's a really... genius. I think that's a, yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a good way to ratchet some tension. Because um, let me yeah. tell you, I... I, if I remember correctly, there is a score in the in the 1971 one. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, what I love is that the only score is actually like music that they make. Mm-hmm. No, it's diegetic. Yes. Diegetic sound. Until the end, actually. I think the end has, has a little bit of a score. I think there's a Phoenix song. Her choice says, in music is so funny. Well, Phoenix, you know, it's her husband's band. No, that's fair. So they're cheap. You know. <laughs> yeah. The family discount. I'm sure that's exactly what it was, too. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure that I'm sure yeah. that the record company was like, oh, yeah, the yeah. family discount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ten cents on every dollar. <laughs> yeah. No, you did it for free. You did it for what? residuals uh, residual we'll get it we'll make it back in residuals <laughs> yeah anyway he dies God. yes uh, yes quite <laughs> spoiler alert unlike the apex of the movie <laughs> do you think kirsten dunst is okay with it no yes and no i don't think she feels bad for killing him but she's kind of she is kind of like like i did like sex but, sex was well, sex was pretty cool. Yeah, maybe I can have it again. Maybe. Yeah, but yeah, she seems to kind of go along with the rest of them, being like, "Yeah, oh, man, that's that's." I mean, we had to do it. He was fucking nuts. He shot at our, our chandelier. Listen, he kind of had to die. Yeah, I do feel like that's the explanation. Like. It's not the most screwed over Kirsten Dunst gets in a movie that we're going to talk about tonight. I'll say that. Nope. <laughs> no, it certainly, certainly is not. Nope. Nope. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think the Beguiled... It's interesting to see Coppola tackle like a straight thriller. I think it's the only one in her catalog. The Bling Ring has moments, but I don't really know if I would qualify that. So does Virgin Suicides, but I yeah. also wouldn't qualify that either. I, I don't think it's a straight thriller. This is like a straight thriller premise, you know, execution. And I think it's 
of her filmography, I think it's the one that's it's got the most room to grow. Yeah, I agree with that. And also, too, I kind of like that it's just, just I like that she just kind of did a genre movie. Yeah, it's more, you know, if it, you know, turns movies around quicker for her, she should do more. Yeah, I agree. Selfishly, I would like to, I would like more Sofia Coppola movies. I agree with that. I also would like more Sofia Coppola movies. And, you know, I feel the next one we're going to talk about almost almost got us no more Sofia Coppola movies. <laughs> yes. So you look at that. You look at that box office. You look at that budget. You go, ooh. 2010, starring Stephen Dorff as Johnny Marco, a famous actor uh, recuperating at the Chateau Marmont. Despite money, fame, and personal success, he is trapped in an existential cli- uh, crisis and an emotionally emptying daily life. When his ex-wife suffers an unexplained breakdown and goes away, she leaves Cleo, Elle Fanning, their 11-year-old daughter, in his care. From 2010, somewhere. Hi, Dad. Hey, Cleo. Hi, Johnny. Hey, Layla. What happened to you? Nah, just a little stunt work. You know, I do all my own stunts. <laughs> Don't get her back too late, okay? Yeah, sure. I like this. My first signature. Thanks. It's cool. I watched this with her. She had never seen this before. And I think she liked this. And it's weird. I think every Sofia Coppola movie weirdly pairs with another Sofia Coppola movie almost perfectly. Yeah. So you're going to pair this with uh, Lost in Translation? Honestly, I think this and On the Rocks go well together. I, you know what? Yeah, actually. Yeah, that almost is like the perfect triple feature of like her father issue movies. Yeah, I think this one is also just sort of about like show business and like the ennui of Hollywood and being a celebrity. And it really hints at just like this just emptiness that Steven Dorf feels. Yeah. I think I sent you that video. Our cat was fascinated by the opening uh the opening five minutes of this movie with that car that, going in circles. It was very cute. I was I laughed very it was very cute. I thought you would appreciate it. It made us laugh pretty hard too. She was like, do you see him? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, he loves the opening of somewhere. I said he's 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 my little buddy. And she goes, is this movie like this all the time? I go, no, no this movie's about to get a lot slower. Um, <laughs> I will say, when we were in L.A., we went to this place called The Pink Taco for dinner, which was fantastic. And it's literally a block down from the Chateau Marmont. And I saw that sign and I popped pretty big. I was like, oh, my God, it's the hotel from somewhere. Chris Pontius has been there. <laughs> we did Pontius. this as, as yeah, an episode. We, we 
did. Do you remember what it was paired with? I want to say it was another female director. So I want to say maybe it was the Babadook. Did I pair it with a Rikerd, maybe? You know, I don't know. Hold on. We don't Let's have see. to pull this up. We don't, we don't have to know this. No, we don't have we to. Can. But I mean, like, it's going to take all of two seconds. Let's see, because I know it's like, so then the first year. No, we did the Babadook and Ladybird. Mm. I wanted to say it's like, it's weird. I remember that. I remember. Oh, Strange Days. It was two female filmmakers. Oh, okay. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's a good, that's a weird pairing. Yeah, but two really good movies. So, what is Somewhere about? Somewhere is about Johnny Morocco in Chateau Bramont, and he's got a daughter, and he's trying to connect with her, and also just do anything with his life. And, yeah, you know, he has, he tries to, you know, he tries to connect with his daughter. It doesn't necessarily go entirely well. He's broken his arm, I think. Yeah, he has, hasn't he? It's it's and... a movie where a lot happens, but not a lot happens, you know? Boy, that that is just the truth, is it not? It's very much like a, a like someone in love situation. Which is weird. She liked this a lot more than like someone in love. I, I don't know, man. I don't know what to tell you. Yeah, I mean, well, it's under, you know, it's understandable in some ways, like that she might not like someone in love. No, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah, I get it, too. But I mean, like, I'll say this, too. It doesn't hurt that this might be the most charming Elle Fanning performance ever. Yeah. I mean, like, it's weird. She's really good in The Beguiled. But, like, there is this innocence to her where, like, every moment of that movie, you're like, look, Johnny, you can do whatever you want through this movie, but if you hurt her feelings, I'm going to be pissed off at you. Like, don't do it. Don't fuck up that relationship. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I'll say, I'll I'll agree with you. I'm trying to think of, like, another Elle Fanning performance. And uh, I'm outside of my neighbor, Totoro. Not getting much. She is the voice in my neighbor, Totoro. She's also in We Bought a Zoo. Just just in case anybody wanted to know. Ah, yes, We Bought a Zoo. You know, I'll say it, they don't lie to you about the name of that movie. They do buy a zoo in it. Exactly. But in this movie, like, she's kind of stuck with Johnny Morocco, who's her father. And like I said, I think this is a very, like, deep examination on the similar relationships that Sophia had with Francis. Because it's about this person who is extremely famous in the world that he's involved with. And it's kind of about her getting left behind. Like, Brianna said it. She goes, I think he's a good dad. I just think he's kind of absent at moments. Yeah. I think he wants to be a good dad more than he is a good dad. You know what I mean? Well, I think he makes the conscious choice to change. 
by the end of it. That scene where he's on the phone with his ex-wife. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I like I don't know if he's entirely changed by the end. The ending is somewhat ambiguous and I think on purpose. But I I do think throughout the movie he attempts to connect with L. I'm not entirely sure if it's always successful. I think he wants to be a good dad and I think that that is while probably not good enough means something to Cleo by the end of the movie. Oh, I think so. Like, I think she recognizes it there, but there's moments too, where like the scene where like that woman stays over and like the next morning, like you can tell she's like vehemently pissed. Yeah. She's not happy about yeah. that. No. Cause she's like, and I don't think she has any illusions that her parents are going to get back together or not going to get back together. But I think there's also this like, hey, this is our time. Like, why is this person here? Yeah. I will say one of the funnier moments is Brianna leaned over to me and she goes, this is the most boring striptease I've ever seen. And I was like, yeah, I think that's kind of the point. Yeah, it's not supposed to be good. No. He's just like, he's just so, so bored with everything, despite being this guy who like gets to have everything. It's also shot in a way where you're not like focused on her. Or them. I think it's or, two of them. Oh, right. Them. Right. 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 Yeah. Right. 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 I think is there is there two strip scenes or is it just one? There's two. There's two. There's one where they're dressed as cheerleaders and there's one where they're dressed as tennis like women. That's funny. Yeah. And he doesn't care about either of them. And it is weird how he weirdly comes more alive when his daughter is around. Yeah, it's not like that, but yes. No, no, like in a positive way. Yes, like, no, no. In the same in... way that like love should inspire him like with like a woman who he's attracted to, like the love of his daughter actually inspires him in the same way to be more of a human being. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I just, I I love the pace that this movie goes at. Because it's, it's really own pace. slow. Yeah, um, <laughs> it it moves at its own rate, which is pretty slowly. But I think that that's, I think that's a a kind of a boon for this movie because it really allows you to get into his headspace and how bored he is. Yeah, actually, I don't disagree with that. It does allow you to give that same kind of like just like malaise of like he has everything and yet he seems so vastly unhappy yeah with like basically. with like everything he has what else do you want to talk about with it it's pretty funny that he hires a helicopter to drop her off at camp that's amazing i would be so excited if my father did that no not you so much no not really <laughs> you'd just be known as the you'd just be known as the helicopter girl for the rest of the summer. It would be weird, wouldn't it? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think it'd be weird for me. I'd be pretty stoked. I'd come in. I'd be like, "That's right, motherfuckers! I'm the one who was on the helicopter. What did you? How'd you get to camp by car? Like a normie? Yeah. This has gone. Off, yeah. This has gone off the rails. This has gone off the rails. It has. Well, I I feel like we've talked about this. We're having a hard time talking about it, even though I did just watch it like a couple weeks ago. It's a hard movie to talk about. Well, nothing fucking happens. Like the movie is literally about these like couple of days where him and his daughter spend like these good days together. And actually, you know what? I would actually pair it with outside of a Coppola movie. Have you seen After Sun yet? I have. I would pair it with After Sun. 
Yeah, yeah, I think that works. I would pair it with Janine Delman, but you know. I don't know what that is. It's the new Sight and Sound number one movie. Oh, right. It has a fuller, longer name. That's why I didn't pick it's up on it. Janine Delman, 23 Quad, Du Commerce, one, uh, 1080 Brussels. Yeah, that, that sounds like a whole name. Film sounds like a dog. whole long name. Yep. Interesting. Well, maybe one of these days we'll have to watch that. One of these days. One of these days I'm going to force you to watch it. You know that. Yeah, I, I believe me. I'm aware. There are certain movies that I'll just come across like that just get a certain amount of critical recognition or something falls to me and I'm just like, yeah, we're going to watch that eventually. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. No, no. Yes. Yes. You're just thinking yeah. of all the movies you're going to make me watch. Yeah, aren't pretty you? much. That's pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I figured. That's uh, thinking about the, thinking about the movie. Thinking about the movie I'm going to buy you. Uh... You bastard. From Criterion. You bastard. Don't you do it again. Don't you do another brighter summer day. Son of a bitch. Get it to me two days before we have to record. And you're like, here's a four hour movie to watch. Best of luck. (laughs) I think you would really like a brighter summer day if you watched it under your own. I told you. I told you. We're gonna do the we're gonna do the rewatch of a brighter summer day, and we're gonna repot about it. It's okay. gonna be a it's gonna be an original episode. Part one is the first two hours of a brighter summer day. Part two is the second two hours of a brighter summer day. Perfect. Whenever you want to do it, I'm, I'm do it. I'll be ready when we move. You know what? It might be the first movie we record when we're in Oklahoma. Okay. Where yeah. the wind come blowing off the plains. Yes. Um, and a Heidi lighty die and a Heidi lighty do. I'm just doing I'm just doing South Park musicals now. Okay. Oh, uh, all right. But yeah. On to our number three. Number two. Yeah, that too. We go. We go number... up. We go up. Yes. To quote Gene Hackman, "Don't talk semantics with me." <laughs> <laughs> I was just sitting in the kitchen today doing dishes, and I was just thinking about the scene where he like gets kicked out, and he goes, "He goes, Dad, you were never really dying." And he goes, "But I'm gonna live." And he just goes down and he goes to get in the little penny cab and he looks up and there's, what's his name, Danny Glover and Gwyneth Paltrow. Danny Glover and Gwyneth Paltrow are standing there. And Gene Hackman looks up and he goes, he's not your father. And she goes, neither are you. And it's just such a great dig, like, back at Gene Hackman. <laughs> just like, you suck. Got him. Okay, well. That took, that, that took a lot. That was a lot. It did. Yeah, I'm aware. Hurt my brain, too. Sorry, I was too high to help you there. I, I was just like, what? You're doing fine. Am I? Our number two is the movie, as I've said multiple times, got booed at the Cannes Film Festival, and I don't quite understand why. And I'll say this, it might be Kirsten Dunst's uncrowned best performance. She's the titular character. It's Marie Antoinette. Are we there yet? Yes. We have arrived at Chutan for the official handover. Then you will be presented to the king and to your fiance, Louis Auguste. Your Royal Highness, may I present to your mistress of the household, Comtesse Noy. Your Royal Highness. Oh. Madame. 
architecture for the handover ceremony has been built precisely astride the borders of the two great lands. You have entered on Austrian soil, you will exit on French as the Dauphine of France. Now you must bid farewell to your party and leave all of Austria behind. You can have as many French dogs as you like. It is a custom that the bride retain nothing belonging to a foreign court. An etiquette always observed on such an occasion. The titular role. Actually, I have another intro. Uh, yeah. You want to hear it? Hi. Our number two movie is a movie that a certain film critic wrote. I find this movie deeply aesthetically pleasing and a wonderful insight into the world of aristocracy of the time. But also, I don't care if Marie Antoinette got her head chopped off. Comma, like good. Hey, wait a minute. <laughs> Oh, that's the better one. We're going to come in from the clip with you going, hey, wait a minute. <laughs> <laughs> no rating, no stars on it by Tyler, some guy on Letterboxd. <laughs> I like that you don't give ratings to movies. Some, I, I used to not. I, I do now. Yeah. Um, I have started recently just because making a top 10 list where you look at all of the movies and they just all have hearts next to them. And you're just like, I don't fucking make heads or tails of this. Yeah. Hard to like do. A crazy person made this, made this rating system. <laughs> pretty much. Pretty much. Yeah. When the movie opened up, because she, this was what we watched on Valentine's Day. She came home from work. I had Valentine's Day off. I cooked her dinner and we sat down and watched this movie. And that opening shot where she's just there eating cake. And like getting, I think like her like her nails done or something, and she just looks into the camera. Brianna was like, "Oh yeah, that's what I would do if I had all the power." And I was like, "Good, I'm glad to know you'd be using it responsibly." I mean, you gotta, right? I mean, wouldn't you if you had just like that much? Like, money doesn't even exist to those people because they make the money. I would do stupid shit. Are you are you fucking kidding? And she does. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. If I had more money than God, I, I, yeah, I would absolutely do dumb, 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 dumb things. And I'm not saying it's good. I'm not saying capitalism is good. Um, I'm just saying that, like, if you if you had money and you grew up around it, you would be fucking stupid with it. Oh, yeah, especially if you don't know anything. And, you know, I told you we would get to the fact that this is not that, like, Colin Farrell being whacked is not the largest injustice to Kirsten Dunst in a Sofia Coppola movie, when they take away her dog in, like, the first... Like, I'm not kidding you. It's still the funniest moment in this movie to me in some ways, is when it's they take so Mops sad. away from her. <laughs> but it's so, so funny, because she's like, she's like, Mops! And you're just like, yeah, I guess that dog's gone now, isn't it? 
I didn't know that pugs were Austria. That pugs <laughs> were in Austria at the time. You've never noticed Ash's little accent. He's like, oh yeah, hello, father. Like, oh no, I he's he's he is one hundred percent Chinese Mexican. <laughs> I'm not doing either of those accents. So yeah, exactly, you can piss off, fucker. Yeah, exactly. By the way, we haven't talked about it, and I'm, I'll I'll make sure to get both of your guys' permission. But the video of you unboxing the stuff may, it was exactly what I wanted from it. Just also the fact that she starts with Ash looking over like, what the hell's going on here? What are they doing now? <laughs> Ash is like, oh no, no, no more, no, no, not boxes. It's my least favorite thing. I'm glad you like them, by the way. No, yeah, they're, they're great. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. plan on watching, rewatching the, the Three Colors trilogy again In for 4K. Like the fourth time. In 4K. Yeah, yeah In... as nice as it can be right now. Okay. I was actually I was literally planning to upgrade soon, so now I don't have to. Yeah. As they say, happy birthday. But um let's see. Yeah. What was the Ah man, how do how do you talk about someone this famous? And I think that's almost the challenge Sophia Coppola presented. Yes. It's one of those things where like everybody has like an interpretation of Marie Antoinette and you know some of it is you kind of look at it and you're like yeah I kind of get it and other aspects of it you're just like she kind of sucks but like this movie is like if you only ever knew this life and you did not understand the outside world then yeah you would be like this and it paints a pretty solid picture of that and of this like time period that was that she existed at the end of and the repercussions and just like this like how it kind of just like washed away these people's existence and this whole lifestyle that they had and the movie doesn't go it's good or bad or anything like that it just it looks at it and it examines whether or not it's worth understanding. It's also a fact of too, that, that like she kind of like also got a raw deal because they put the power into like the hands of children. Yeah. Like it's not even really her fault. It's like, she wasn't qualified to lead. Even if like she was meant to do this, this was like what she was like sent there to do. Like she was not meant to do this. Like, her her husband like became king way too early. Mm-hmm. He was twenty. Yeah, nineteen when he took over. He was slated to take over much later. He was also historically not the brightest. He was kind of considered. People were like, "Oh, we're really gonna be king?" Even at the time. Yeah, he also just did a bunch of dumb shit with wars and, you know, a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff happened. But yeah, he, by the time that he they were executed, he was 38. So, you know, he wasn't entirely a child the entire time. Yeah, but I mean, he's also this guy who, like, again, it's like her. It's like, 
Nothing. He's never had to do anything. The most he has to do in that movie, and he barely does that, is get her pregnant. Like, even that takes for fucking ever. There's a lot of rumor about him potentially having, like, some sort of disorder or, like, micropenis or something. That's, there's a lot of speculation because a lot of people bring that up when they talk about Marie Antoinette. I mean, that's the other thing, too, is like she's just going through hormones at that point. She's like in her teenage years. No wonder like she did. She went out and just like banged other people like it was just like, what did you expect? Like guy at home isn't there's that great scene, too, where like some guy comes up to like. Like the king goes up to Jason Schwartzman's character. He's like, he goes, has the Dauphin like taken care of his duties? And he's like, excuse me. And he goes, he goes, cause I would love to do it. And you're just like, do you know who I am? Like, or is this, is this just real coincidence right here? The good news I will say is that when she was married off at the age of 14, he was also 14. It so. is weirdly one of those where like, it wasn't like a super old guy. Marrying no. a super young chick or vice versa. They were the same age. Neither had an understanding of sex. And he also, I don't know, there's speculation about about Louis Augustine. He helped America, I'll give him that. He did. He was also guillotined for yes, helping yes, America. Yes, he was. Yep, well, you know... I think it was for, I mean, you know what, though? To quote the late, great Ray Liotta, it was for helping America and a lot of other things. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it kind of was. Like, it was like, it was like, oh, man, he fucking made us all be poor. He was this rich prick. He helped America. Yeah, he did that, too, while I'm thinking about it. It was, you know, not just that, but yes. No. But but it didn't help the case. Listen, he didn't help America solely from the bottom of his heart. All right, he had he was crippling. There was some crippling debts. Yeah, he also was like kind of like he also was kind of giving the finger to England as well. Uh, but still, you know, I mean, French don't help us. We might not be a country. Um, no, nah, we would have just taken land. Yeah, it's true. As I did tell, as I told some guy today in an uber ride we were talking about the war in ukraine i said no there's a difference between trying to win and wanting to win i said with america like we wanted to win we wanted it more so i said vietnam the vietnamese wanted it more i said like that's the thing there's an there's an indomitable spirit of if you want something more than someone you can pull out all the stops regardless of having like a lesser or inferior like army force behind you and also just knowing the lay of the land, too. That's what fucked Britain as well. It's like they had to show up to the battle. Like, we were already there. Trees? They're fighting in trees? What do you mean they're not just lining up to shoot at us? Across the Delaware. It's not a 1920s guy. What voice was that? What do you mean? I'm not from Chicago. What do you mean? What do you mean, sir? What is your favorite scene in Marie Antoinette? Oh, that's a good question. I, you know, I do love the part, like the party scene, like in in her little where she's got her like a little house, like that whole vibe. 
when Tom Hardy like shows a... up for a couple minutes. The whole movie, the whole movie, Brown was like, where's Tom Hardy in this movie? I'm like, he's coming. She goes, I think you lied about that. I'm like, you saw his name on screen. She goes, could be a different Tom Hardy. I'm like, well, that's fair. It's a very common sounding name. Yeah, and then he showed it up. She's like, oh, my God, look how small he is. You can't credit two Tom Hardys. You know, they're, they're different. But she was surprised at how tiny he was. I was like, yeah, he hasn't put on that, like, that Tom Hardy muscle yet. No, no, he's wiry. He's still, he's still Methier's uh, uh, gay sex Tom Hardy. It's a very funny joke if you know what we're talking about. Yes. Bisexual icon Tom Hardy. Oh, yes, it's me, Bane. And I'm a, I'm a bisexual. I wish the whole movie had just been that, but every time he finishes a sentence, he also reminds us he's bisexual. That would have that, added a whole new layer to The Dark Knight Rises, especially really with the title. Yeah. It really, really would have elevated it. Yeah. Uh, oh, else I see The Dark about... Knight Rises in his pants because I'm a bisexual icon. All right. Okay. I'm taking the megaphone away from you. <laughs> Fine. Anything Fine. else to say? About... I won't do Bybane, which is what <laughs> the character would have been called to. Oh, man, Bybane. Bybane's my favorite Southern hardcore band. Thank you. Uh, let's see. Let's Thank see. You. My favorite scene. You know, honestly, I kind of love when they first wake her ass up in the morning and they're like, no, no, there's a procedure to this. And she's like, you're out of your fucking mind. Well, <laughs> like, if I was the queen, like, if I was Marie Antoinette, like, I go back in time, I can just be Marie Antoinette, but I've got my brain set. I'd just be like, no, we're not doing it this way. I'm going to get up every morning and I'm going to put on my own shit and I'm going to come out. And I'm going to say hi to all of you, like, on the veranda. You all will be down there. And if you're not there when I get up, then you don't see me. And they'd be like, well, that's not how we do it. I go, well, fuck, I don't care how you do it. I'm the fucking queen now. You'll do as I say. You realize that she gets murdered in the end, right? For, like, I'm doing very, that? Yeah, I'm very aware of what happens. Okay, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, I still, I still, you know what, then? She lived on her own terms. Good for her. Good for her. Good for her. Yeah. You go, girl. Yeah, let him eat blade. Let him eat. Let him eat blade. I do like just like kind of the angst of like the fact that she knows she's failing at every moment. I do like that. Yeah, I think the like her slowly begin to realize like ah this is not going well. <laughs> not going well at all. No. I I do I think that that is an interesting watch i'll say it i think kirsten dunce humanizes that person very well for a person who's not very human in some ways especially because of history yes i think it's surprising how tender this role is kirsten dunce we're this whole night is all we're going to be doing is talking about how much we like kirsten dunce you know, it's weird. I it, You don't usually think of Sofia Coppola as having someone who she works with consistently for some reason in my head, but it is Dunst, isn't it? Like, those it, two have been yeah. together since the start. They're not every movie together, but she did three movies out of seven with her, which is still pretty big. Three and a half that's, if you count her small cameo in the bling, bling ring. That is, that's pretty big. I, you know, she, she plays herself in the bling ring, I believe, right? All of 12 seconds of it, yeah. It's, yes, I think it's just like, oh my god, you're Kirsten Dunst, uh, and that's literally it. Yeah, yeah, I, I don't know. My brain is scattered as fuck, but you know, 
let's look at the 2006 Cannes Film Festival. Let's let's see what was in competition. Let's do that. Yeah, just for the purposes of figuring out, did this deserve to be booed? I think it's less booed for how good it is and more booed for its per, its portrayal of Marie Antoinette. Wow, there's like, man, you can have that many movies in a year? Damn. Right. <laughs> I guess, I mean... I'm, you know, what? I'm not even going to name off all of them. I'm just going to give you some. I'm just going to give you some ones that the the general audience would know and stuff that only you and I would know. Uh, you got Babel. You've got Fast Food Nation by Richard Linklater. Oof. You have Marie Antoinette by Sofia Coppola. You have Pan's Labyrinth by Guillermo del Toro. You have Southland Tales by Richard Kelly. You have Volver by Pedro Aldemar. And they would all lose out to Ken Loach's The Wind That Shakes the Barley, a movie that we talked about, I think, less than a week ago. We, we, I did bring that up. You also have A Colossal Youth, which is like a huge art house movie of that year. You have the uh, Aki Kuramatsuki, uh, uh, Lights in the Dusk, and uh, Andrew Arnold's Red Road. All good movies. And Summer Palace by um, Louis a movie so good he got sent to jail because of it <laughs> good god yeah well there you go and they would all lose out to the wind that shakes the barley but yeah i just i just don't think people got this movie at the time and i think it started to kind of like make its way back into like being like oh this is actually secretly really good i will say i think this movie is a is a grower yeah yeah and it gets, I'll say it, I didn't like it the first time I watched it, and now it was, like, my number two by the time we did this, so I think that really says something. I also, here, hot take, I also didn't like it the first time I saw it. I was just like, I guess every other movie that I like, okay, weird. And then I rewatched it on the big screen, and I was like, oh, it's very good. Yeah, yeah, I saw it on the big screen, and I was just like, first time I was like, I was like, I don't think I like this, like... But I also don't think I was ready for what they were doing, which she's just like, I mean, like at one point, like Brianna was like, are those Converse shoes? I was like, yeah, it's a joke. I was like, I was like, she's she doesn't care if she's being historically accurate. She's like going with like a look at the fashion, like it's, kind of it's concept. Less like historically accurate and more connecting modern women to Marie Antoinette and being like, this is a story about, a, you know, a young journeys, a young woman's journey into being a woman. True. What is your favorite part with Dunst in it, I guess? I, we already did this. That's right, we did. Fuck, you're right. That sounded familiar. <laughs> Never mind. Because we've talked about Dunst in three movies now. Well, it will be three in a moment. Yeah. Which means me to ask the question, what is our number one Sofia Coppola movie? Our number one Sofia Coppola movie has James Woods, Kathleen Turner, Kirsten Dunst, AJ Cook, and Josh Hartnett, it's also got narration by our boy Giovanni Ribisi. That's of course the psychological drama from 1999, The Virgin Suicides. People saw their clairvoyance in the wiped-out elms, the harsh sunlight, and the continuing decline of our auto industry. Even then, as teenagers, we tried to put the pieces together. We still can't. Now, whenever we run into each other at business lunches or cocktail parties, we find ourselves in the corner going over the evidence one more time. All to understand those five girls. 
But after all these years, we can't get out of our minds. Cecilia, the youngest, was 13. And Lux was 14. Bonnie was 15. Mary was 16. And Therese was 17. No one could understand how Mrs. Lisbon and Mr. Lisbon, our math teacher, had produced such beautiful creatures. Try to understand. Try, try, try to understand. He's a magic man. When Josh Hartnett opens the door in a towel and that woman just brings him a, a book report and brownies, I was like, man, it must be so nice to be Josh Hartnett. It really makes the case for being Josh Hartnett in this movie. <laughs> yeah, and even his character doesn't get away clean. No, when it cuts back to him and he's like in like like a halfway house or something. Or in, like going in between something at like a AA meeting. Something. Something. Somewhere. It's kind of incredible this is her first movie. It really it really is. <laughs> What's crazy is that she made her first short film Lick the Star as like a kind of like a proof concept to try and get like directing work and then like because she's a Coppola immediately it's going to make like the 1999 film The Virgin Suicides but it's it's absolutely insane how good this movie is right off the jump like I said it might be the best American movie of the 90s just like in like capturing like what America is at a time period not necessarily in even a movie set in the 90s but a movie like about America yeah I think this is, and I don't, I don't know, I don't want this to sound reductive, and I don't want this to be mean, but this feels like an adult version of American Beauty. That's an interesting way to look at it. Like, American Beauty, I think, I'm not going to, not to disparage anything, I think it's a fine movie. I think it's pretty good. I like it, even though it's got, you know, redacted, it's directed by Sam Mendes, you know, certain things you can't take back. I think this movie has like a similar vibe about the suffocating feeling of the suburbs, about this like young woman's journey into adulthood and like how it kind of gets stifled and all this other stuff. I think this movie gets that vibe, but like perfects it in a weird way. Yeah. I mean, it's also to a movie where like, I love that first scene where they talk about the first girl who tried to kill herself. And there's that moment where like the doctor says to her, like, you don't really know how bad life can get. And she goes, obviously doctor, you've never been a 13 year old girl. And you're just like, Jesus Christ. Like, it's true. Like we have no idea what's going on in the head of the opposite sex. Like even by the end of that, that movie, what's so genius about that movie is the scene where you, and I didn't know it was Giovanni Ribisi until you said it. I didn't realize he was the narrator, but now I'm hearing it. And I'm like, Oh yeah, that is Giovanni Ribisi. The scene that really nails it home is the fact that he says like, no matter how you put it together, none of it makes sense. We don't know. It's, it's the same thing with Zodiac where it's like, there's no fucking answers. We don't know. Like, we yeah, just don't know. It's impossible to, and what I think this movie does really well that I don't think other people adapting this material would have thought to do is it doesn't try and 
answer them or try and confront or try and um, comfort the men about the, 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 about who we're seeing the movie through. You know, it doesn't try and like have them look at it and figure anything out. It's just they have to live with this unknowing and this just like kind of understanding that you know they they had they were looking through they were looking at these women through one set of eyes and now that they've passed on they're looking through them with a different set of eyes but still unable to try and like fully comprehend their life like at all i think it's a really interesting really bleak and interesting take on the material that i don't think a male director would have made well, it's also the thing, too, where it's not a movie where it's asking you to pity what they did. It's not even a movie that's asking you to be angry or not angry with what they did. It's a movie that's asking you to examine the fact that this happened and that things like this continue to happen and that we need to figure out why they're happening. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, it's also a movie, too, where he takes two people who you would never think could play parents and makes them into believable, interesting parents. Like, I didn't think James Woods could do... Like, it's been years since I've seen this, and I kind of forget it's... always forget it's James Woods. James Woods plays the most normal human being I've ever seen. Yeah, surprisingly. And Kathleen yeah. Turner, despite being, like, a sex symbol, like, probably a decade before, is just a mom. And, like, just this... And this same kind of overbearing mom that like every girl, I guarantee you any girl who watches this movie was like, my mom's done that. I also guarantee that. I also think Kathleen Turner is a smoke show in this movie and I don't care who knows it. She's really good. She's really good. And I mean, it's like also one of those things too, where like, I love the line. It goes, we couldn't conceive of our math teacher and his wife creating these four creatures. Yeah, and I think they they kind of beautifully present that with this like dorky fucking math teacher who <laughs> is kind of annoying and and then these just like really cool girls. But are they cool? You know what? Good point. <laughs> I think a lot of it's left up to the interpretation yeah, no, I, yeah. of like they're kind of they're kind of dorky, but they're also like mysterious. Well, it's because they're unattainable. Like, yeah, there's there's that scene where he says, despite them going to pick out the perfect patterns they wanted, Mrs. Lisbon added an extra inch to like the legs and added like an extra like two inches to the bus line. Like they all looked like they were wearing sacks. Like it doesn't matter. It's the mere fact that nobody can talk to the Lisbon girls that like they're so they're so interesting. I mean, don't get me wrong, like you could d- dress Kirsten Dunst in mud in this movie and you would be like that's the prettiest girl ever covered in mud. You mean, yeah, she's very good looking in this movie. Um Wow. I agree. he says, we'll never know what happened to them. They were quiet out. <laughs> he, he does love the movie. Yeah. Um also, too, just Air's soundtrack is incredible in this movie. Yeah, Air is fantastic. Yeah, Playground Love, like, that that song, the first time I heard it, I was like, oh, this is secretly one of, or not secretly, this is one of the best songs ever put in a movie. Yeah. 
I would agree. I would have to simply agree. I think this whole movie is just top to bottom, just fantastic. And I know you're going to ask me my favorite scene. You know, this the, when the girls invite the boys over, I think. Like at the end? No, before that, for the party. Oh, yes. Uh... I think that's a great scene. She, you are correct. She does understand the boredom of the suburbs. And I think that's why this movie does work so incredibly well. There's also, too, just we've all been at that age where we're waiting to move on to the next thing. And it works. It's a perfect representation of what it's like to be a teenager. Yeah. Yeah. It's also, I think, captures the feeling of being an adult and like looking back and being like, huh. And like just not being able to shake something. Well, they said it eats to it eats at us to this very day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think if someone had never seen a Sofia Coppola movie, I think I'd be like, yeah, go watch Virgin Suicides. <laughs> like like you you have to. I mean, it's one of those for me where like I mean we put this at number one, right? I mean, and you had somewhere at number one, but I think this was like number, was this number two for you? I think this was number, yeah, this was number two for me. And like, and I mean, somewhere is just more of a, it's, it's a personal favorite for you. It's a personal favorite. Yeah. That's the one that I would pick as my favorite personally. Um, I think the, I think the, if I look at, if I'm looking at it objectively, I'm like the Virgin Suicide is probably her best movie, which feels backhanded. I know it's, it's not because I love all of her movies. But The Virgin Suicides is just like, I don't know, you struck fucking something, because this is incredible. Well, I think it's also the fact that, like, there's a mentality of something where it's like, when you, in 1999, when people who were in the industry heard Sofia Coppola's making her first movie, there was probably some people who were just like, oh, Francis's kid's making a movie, this ought to be cute. And then she made this movie and they were like, Jesus Christ, like, what the fuck? Like, how did she do that? Like, mm-hmm. it's almost like it's almost a slap across the face that it was as good. Like, it would be understandable if it was good. Like, you'd be like, yeah, that's Francis Ford Coppola's daughter. She's been sitting on sets her whole life. She probably understands, like, how to make a movie at least coherently. But the fact that it was not only that, but it was like, Holy shit, Sofia Coppola might have made the best movie of the 90s. And like in a year or two, she released a movie that I think if you were to go back now and really critically look at 1999 is probably in the upper third of the 1999 movies. Which is, it, it's just saying a lot. I mean, it's one of the greatest years of all time and she contributed to it and it's her debut feature. That's so good. That's all I can really yeah. say about it. <laughs> Really quickly, I'm going to look at the 1999 Cannes Film Festival just to see what would have won. What did she wait? What did she win director for? You said for the Bling Ring. Cannes. She won for the Beguiled. She won Best Director for the Beguiled. Yep. That's wild. I did not uh, know that she won Best Director for that. Yep. At the Cannes Film Festival, that to be to remember. So, yeah, the Palme d'Or in 99 goes to Rosetta by the Belgium 
brother duo Jean-Pierre and Luc Dodin. Other movies in the festival lineup are Cradle of Rock by Tim Robbins, All About My Mother by Alan Medovar. There's an Ant Adam Agon film, Ghost Dog, Way of the Samurai. John Sayles has a movie in the competition, Paula X uh, by uh, Leos Crox. The Straight Story by David Lynch. Time Regained by Raul Ruiz. And Wonderland by Michael Winterbottom. There you go. Oh, quick side note. I just got a text. Not, I didn't just, but this week I was at work and my phone binged and I picked it up and it just said David Lynch with three exclamation points. I just wrote back to my father said, I take it you watched the Fableman's disc I gave you. And he's like, we were so delighted when that happened. And I was like, good. I was like, you now understand my joy of that moment. That's right. 1999, The Straight Story. Damn. Yeah, 1999, The Straight Story. A movie that, like, secretly might be his best movie. Maybe. I don't know. It's weird to say, but I could easily see myself putting the straight story up on a big screen. I like and just like having people show up to that and just being like, enjoy. It's a great movie. It is. I will say this. It might yes. be the best Disney movie. <laughs> it's very funny. It's a very funny joke. Thank you. So what do you like? Why do you why do you think they do it? Um control just so they have a say in something something yeah I'm not saying it's a good reason i'm just saying that that's our reason i don't think we're supposed to know and i think trying to know is just more of the same you just run in yourself in circles pretty much yeah i agree with that sorry to make all that noise no, you're fine. You're fine. But yeah, I mean, I think that's. Do you have anything else you want to say about it? Not really. I think we should do faces. And we've been we recording should. for a long time. So just just over two hours. This should edit so... all out nicely. Oh, yeah, very much so. Do we want to do face? No, we do faces last. You want to go through the gift shop? Sure thing. All right. It's Tyler's gift shop, ladies and gentlemen. Which means, even if it made it on the Mount Rushmore, we still need to recoup expenses for making this thing. So it's time to ask Tyler for every single movie in order. What do they get for the Virgin Suicides? You get a life. You get a little, like, Barbie doll, but of um, Kirsten Dunst's 14-year-old Lux. (laughs) What do they get for Lost in Translation? Oh... (laughs) You get a 15-minute spoken rebuttal from 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 Spike Jones and Cameron Diaz and Cameron Diaz. We didn't talk about it, but upon watching it this time, I was like, "Oh yeah, that is Cameron Diaz that she's that, playing. I see it now." That is that is 100% Cameron Diaz. Yes. What about Marie Antoinette? For Marie Antoinette, you get you get one pug named Mops. It's not bad. What about somewhere? Oh, you get a bottle of nothing. 
You wouldn't think that the movie called Somewhere would go absolutely nowhere. <laughs> you just, just got to stare at it. You just got to stare into it. Uh, you, you've heard that joke, right? Yes, I have. Okay, okay. <laughs> Remind me before we tune off tonight to tell you the funniest new cinematic joke in a TV show. All right. I don't think you'll watch this show, but I just I can't wait to tell you this scene. What do you get for the bling ring? You you get to if you've never seen it, you get to watch the video clip of the of the woman calling and trying to leave a voicemail, but her mom continuing to to yell, and they recreate the scene <laughs> in the bling ring. That's very good. What do you get for the beguiled? You get a leg. How about how about a turkey leg? But we call it a Colin Farrell turkey leg. No, no. You get a leg. Just a just a leg, huh? Whatever one we have on hand. That's that's horrifying. Yep. And what do you get for on the rocks? You get a it's a nice drink out. Adult, probably like an old fashioned. I like that. And finally, let's put some faces to mountains. What are you feeling for the beguiled? Uh, Kirsten Dunst. Okay. Okay. What are you feeling for somewhere? Really, uh, it's really uh, nipped the joke in the bud. Where It'll be I was back. going with this. Um. <laughs> I think. I, don't worry. Don't worry. It's gonna take a break. It had to go out for a smoke break, but I think it's gonna be back in a couple. I seconds. think. I think what I'm currently envisioning is much funnier. <laughs> It has any right to be. Go uh, ahead. Let's go with Stephen Dorff. Yeah, yeah. What were you? That's what you. Is that what you think is funny, or is there something no, else? No, 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 no. We'll continue. We'll, 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 okay. we'll, we'll get there. We'll get to the okay. funny image in my head. Hi. Right. What do you get for Marie Antoinette? Kirsten Dunst. Okay. And what do you get for the Virgin Suicides? Kirsten Dunst. Yeah. <laughs> So it's the three faces of Dunst and just tired ass Steven Dorf, huh? It's just it's just Kirsten Dunst just getting a little bit older and then there's just in the Teddy Roosevelt spot, there's just fucking the tired Steven Dorf. I think it should be the image of his face when he's asleep after the strip tease. <laughs> it should be like the most haggard looking he could possibly make it. Oh, that's great. I I don't I don't hate any of that. So Kirsten Dunst, Steven Dorf, Kirsten Dunst, Kirsten Dunst. Yes. <laughs> I was like, man, it's going to be really funny when I say Kirsten Dunst for all four of them. And then you said somewhere and I was like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> that time Kirsten Dunst visited the set of somewhere. <laughs> so there we go. The Sofia Coppola Mount Rushmore of Awesomeness is done. Ten more episodes and we'll have a new one on hand, but... It's episode 171 next week, and it begs the question, Tyler, it's your movies. What are we doing? You started the show off by asking about a Soviet film. Well, about a film. No, by Soviet film. Mira's Soviet era, Tartovsky. And I am here to take us on our first trip to Soviet Russia, I believe. I think you're right. Solaris. I'm, I'm like, we, we did Solaris? No, no, we have not done Solaris. I think this is the first time we're ever going 
to Soviet Union cinema. I don't even know if we've ever done um, a Russian movie. I'm stalling for time. All right. So our first films in the Soviet Union, both of these produced and made under the umbrella of Moz Films. So I believe both of them are just currently on YouTube in their full, uncut, and in HD. So you should be able to see both of these. The first film from 1977, directed by Larasa Shepko, is called The Ascent. 1977's The Ascent. Okay, don't know a thing about it. And then we're going to follow it up with a, a, a movie also about World War II. Oh, by the way, both of these are like vehemently anti-war films about the Second World War. Directed by at her one-time husband before she passed, Elim Kilmanov. It's the 1985 anti-war film, and boy, are you going to see why it's anti-war. Come and see. Both of these movies are in the Criterion Collection, if you are into that sort of thing. And both of them are just up on YouTube, in HD and uncut. Well, for next week, two anti-war movies from the Soviet Union, The Ascent from 1977, and Come and See from 1985. I don't know dick about either of these movies, ladies and gentlemen, so this could be a real kickoff to the season next week. With something that he's just been itching to do. So we'll see. I don't know. Odd movies are his this time. Even movies are mine. And I know what we're doing for all the even movies. And I'll say it, guys. I'm I'm very curious to see what these are. Because even when Tyler picks some weird stuff, it's at least stuff that I can at least lock into in a different way. And at least get something out of. And if you guys want to see more about what Tyler's doing, you guys should go to our Instagram at TWGTFpod. And you should follow me at Empty Critic 87 on Letterboxd and at Movie Loving Lucha 87. Still posting one movie a day. I watched uh, The Wall yesterday, the Doug Lyman movie starring John Cena and Aaron Taylor Johnson. It's an interesting movie. It's not amazing, but it's it's got a couple good moments of tension. Interesting. Yeah, I know. I feel the same way. And, and Tyler, is there anywhere they can follow you? Into a car that has been left running in the garage. That's fair. And for TWGTF, Two White Guys Talking Film, I've, of course, been your host, Ben. And I'm Trip Fontaine. And remember, guys, you come to a little video store around the way, and you see a bunch of girls telling some guys that they'll meet them in the car. Well, go check on those girls. I don't think they're going to meet them in that car. You're a stone fox. Talking, 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 talking film.
One more thing, sir. Oh, uh, one other thing. Ah, one more thing. Have you or Naomi been watching Poker Face? No. So, there is a moment in Poker Face. I don't know if you do you know the premise of Poker Face. It's like Columbo, I'm assuming. Exactly like Columbo. I'm so glad you said it. So every episode, you know who did it. And then it's just kind of about Natasha Leone's character figuring out how they did it. There's an episode where she starts working at a barbecue place in Texas, and it's like one of the best barbecue places ever. And there's a scene where she's talking to the guy who's like the grill master, whose like brother is played by Laurel. And the grill master guy says, I love what I do. And he's like, you need a job? She goes, yeah, I need a job. She goes, I also can sell you some DVDs if you want. I got some DVDs in my trunk. And they open up the trunk, and she's going through them. She goes, this one's good. This one's good. And she goes, Okja, I've only seen half of that, but it seems like it's pretty good so far. And I laughed at that, and I was like, I was like, that's pretty funny that they mentioned Okja. Ten fucking seconds later, it hard cuts to this guy who's got to be like a 250-pound, like just massively large black guy who all he's ever done his whole life is cooked barbecue, walking out of his trailer crying, and it just shows him dropping the Okja DVD onto the ground, and he just walks over in front of his barbecue, and he goes, I've created an industry of murder. It's the (laughs) funniest cinematic joke I've seen. It, It destroyed us. I was like, stop it. I was like, stop it right now. That's I like that a lot. Yeah, I I thought you would appreciate it. It's worth watching just that one episode just to watch that happen because like the way Natasha Leon says it, she goes, "I've only seen half of it, but it seems like it's going pretty well so far." <laughs> and you're like, "Oh no, he's a cook. Poor little Oak is gonna break his heart." 
Uh, uh, I do like I like that a lot. 